Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Alana and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to CT REIT's Q4 and full year 2020 earnings results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during that time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. The speakers on the call today are Ken Silver, Chief Executive Officer of CT REITs, Leslie Gibson, Chief Financial Officer of CT REITs, and Kevin Salzberg, Chief Operating Officer of CT REITs. Today's discussion may include forward-looking statements. Such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs. These forward-looking statements are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from such statements. Please see CT REIT's public filings for a discussion of these risk factors which are included in their 2020 MDNA and AIF which can be found on CT REIT's website and on SIDAR. I will now turn the call over to Ken Silver, Chief Executive Officer of CT REIT. Ken? Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Thank you all for joining us for CT REIT's fourth quarter 2020 Investor Conference Call. 2020 was clearly not a year any of us expected or planned for. We have all been challenged to navigate the twists and turns, roadblocks and U-turns that the pandemic has thrown us, both personally and professionally. The toll on our communities, our economy, and on countless individual lives has been immeasurable. Yet we continue to work together to get through this, and we have much to be grateful for. Among the things I'm grateful for is the CT REIT team who have risen to the occasion to support one another, our tenants, and their communities to get the job done no matter the obstacle. While daily case and death rates continue to dominate the headlines, we do see the light at the end of the tunnel. Spring will come and vaccines will eventually roll out. In that spirit, I'm pleased to report on the highlights of 2020. Since our IPO in 2013, we have used the tagline, Growing, Reliable, and Durable, to describe CT REIT. And while we have consistently delivered performance that supports that description, 2020 certainly provided a significant stress test. And CT REIT once again delivered, with healthy growth in AFFO per unit for the year, over $200 million in new investments, occupancy and rent collections both slightly north of 99% in Q4, stronger debt and credit metrics, and two distribution increases for a total of seven since our IPO. This combination of growth and resilience is the hallmark of CT REIT. In Q4, we reached the milestones of 10 million square feet of GLA added to the portfolio or committed, and $2 billion invested since our IPO. This growth in assets has delivered compound annual growth in AFFO per unit that has been amongst the strongest in the REIT sector. Our business model, focused on net lease assets with investment-grade tenants and long lease terms, 
combined with conservative financial management, provides a significant level of resilience to complement our growth. Our privileged relationship with Canadian Tire, our largest tenant and majority unit holder, provides strategic insight, growth opportunities, and a distinct competitive advantage. Our significant portfolio of low-risk assets is the platform upon which we can add special value-add opportunities. A case in point is our joint venture with Oxford Properties at Canada Square at Young and Eglinton in Toronto. In December 2020, Oxford submitted an exciting redevelopment application to the City of Toronto for this landmark nine-acre site on two subway lines in this growing node in Midtown Toronto. We look forward to the project obtaining the necessary approvals and proceeding to construction in the next couple of years. 2021 is off to a good start. In early January, we closed on our successful unsecured debenture offering launched in December 2020 and redeemed a series of maturing debentures, leaving no further maturities to refinance this year. I'm pleased we've hit the ground running with our newly announced investments and the disposition of one of our completed redevelopment projects. Last but not least, I'm deleted, delighted to congratulate Kevin Salzberg on his being named as President and Chief Operating Officer of CT REIT effective March 1st. His promotion is a reflection of the growth of the REIT and its evolving organizational needs, and of course, on Kevin's performance, his contribution to the REIT's evolution, and the leadership qualities he's shown since joining the REIT almost five years ago. With that, I'll turn things over to Kevin and Leslie to discuss our results in more detail. Kevin? Thanks, Ken, and good morning, everyone. As outlined in yesterday's press release, we are pleased to announce four new investments this quarter that will require an estimated $65 million to complete. These new projects include the vending of a Canadian Tire store and Canadian Tire Gas Plus Gas Bar in Quebec City, Quebec, the vending of a Canadian Tire store in Lower Sackville, Nova Scotia, and the expansion of an existing Canadian Tire store in Cochrane, Ontario. Also included is the expansion of the Canadian Tire Distribution Center in Coteau du Lac, Quebec, just outside Montreal. Upon completion, this industrial asset, which serves the Canadian Tire Store Network in eastern Ontario, Quebec, and Atlantic Canada, will grow by over 320,000 square feet to a total GLA of nearly 2 million square feet. When completed, these investments are expected to earn a weighted average cap rate of 6.41% and represent approximately 510,000 square feet of incremental GLA. With respect to previously announced investments, in the fourth quarter, CTRE completed the third-party acquisition of three Canadian tire stores in Drayton Valley and Leduc, Alberta, and Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec, acquired a property from a third party consisting of two freestanding buildings leased to Marks and Tim Hortons in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, completed the first phase of its development in Fort St. John, B.C., consisting of new Canadian Tire and Mark stores, completed phase one of the redevelopment of the Aurelia Square Mall in Aurelia, Ontario, which comprised the development of a new Canadian Tire store in the former vacant Target Box, and completed the intensification of an existing Canadian Tire store in Buckingham, Quebec. The REIT invested approximately $139 million in these previously announced projects, which added approximately 440,000 square feet of incremental GLA in the quarter. Subsequent to quarter end, CT REIT sold its Arnprior Mall property in Arnprior, Ontario for approximately $21 million. After redeveloping this enclosed mall 
and bringing occupancy from 53% at the time it was acquired to 97% currently and delivering a new store to Canadian Tire in the process, we received an unsolicited offer to purchase the property at a price that was equivalent to our IFRS value. The REIT continues to hone its focus on net lease assets, and it was determined that in line with our core strategy and based on the fact that we had successfully added value to this property, we would move forward with the sale. Highlighting our full-year activity, and despite an initial pullback in capital spending to preserve liquidity at the outset of the pandemic, CT REIT invested approximately $209 million in 2020 and grew the portfolio by approximately 800,000 square feet. At the end of the fourth quarter, CT REIT had 16 properties that were at various stages of development. These projects represent a total committed investment of approximately $191 million, 57.9 million of which has been spent to date, and 32 million of which we anticipate will be spent in the next 12 months. Excluding the Canada Square redevelopment in Toronto, Ontario, and the development lands that we own in Calgary, Alberta, these projects will add a total incremental gross leasable area of approximately 690,000 square feet to the portfolio upon completion, over 93% of which has been pre-leased. As at year-end, CT REIT's occupancy rate was 99.3%, slightly better than the 2019 year-end occupancy rate of 99.1%, and an improvement over the occupancy as at Q3 2020 due to the lease-up of the 11 Dufferin Place Southeast Industrial Property in Calgary, Alberta. With respect to the impact of COVID-19 on our property operations, we are pleased to share that tenants representing approximately 99.4% of annual base minimum rent fulfill their January 2021 financial obligations to the REIT, a slight improvement relative to the 99.2% for December and November 2020 and the 99.1% received in October 2020. With that, I will turn it over to Leslie for a review of our financial results. Thanks, Kevin, and good morning, everyone. Despite challenges from the ongoing pandemic, we are very pleased with the strong Q4 and full-year results delivered by the REIT. In the quarter, we reported a diluted AFSO per unit of 26.0 cents, an increase of 3.2% compared to the 25.2 cents per unit in Q4 of 2019. This brings the full-year reported diluted AFSO per unit to $1.3.2, representing growth of 2.5% versus 2019. In the quarter, diluted FFO per unit increased 1% to $0.29.6 cents versus the $0.29.3 in the prior year. On a full-year basis, 2020 diluted FFO per unit increased by 0.5% to $1.18.1. Net operating income was $96.9 million, a 3.7% increase over the $93.4 million in Q4 of 2019. We break this headline growth into its components, being a 1.2% growth on a same-store basis, 1.8% growth on a same-property basis, and the balance as a result of net acquisition, disposition, and development activities. Full-year reported NOI was $381.6 million, a 3.5% increase over the $368.8 million in 2019. The 1.2% same-store NOI for Q4 is the result of the contractual rent escalations contributing nearly $1.8 million which includes the 1.5 annual rent escalations on average contained within the Canadian Tire Store leases, partially offset by the expected credit losses for tenants who are significantly impacted by the pandemic, including the bad debt expense related to the rental abatements. For Q4 2020, GNA expenses as a percent of property revenue were 2.5%, 
which is in line with the 2.4% for Q4 2019. Our AFFO payout ratio at the year end was 76.8%, an increase of 2.1% from the same period in 2019 due to the increase in monthly distribution rate exceeding the increase in the AFFO per unit. Not affecting AFFO, but perhaps noteworthy, the REIT changed the valuation methodology that had been using for its single-tenanted properties from the overall capitalization rate approach to the discounted cash flow approach. All properties are now valued on the discounted cash flow approach. This better allows for the updating of assumptions based on changing market conditions to be incorporated into the REIT's property valuations. In Q4, the REIT recorded a relatively small 0.9% and negative fair value adjustment, which reflects the resilience of our core portfolio despite continuing challenges from the broader retail sector. With respect to the balance sheet, the financial position continues to be strong and liquid. The interest coverage ratio increased to 3.5 times in Q4 compared to 3.44 for the fourth quarter of 2019. The, interest, the increase in interest coverage ratio is primarily due to the growth in EBIT-FV, excluding the growth in interest and other financing charges, despite the inclusion of the debenture prepayment costs in the Q4 financing charges. The quarter-over-quarter interest expense decreased primarily due to the rate reset of the Class C LP units that took place in the second quarter of 2020. The continued resilience of our business model was put to the test in 2020, and the results underscore our our continued belief that this is the right model for us. We maintained a conservative 76.8% AFFO payout ratio while increasing distributions and continued our trend of low debt to gross book value of 42.9%. We have just under $300 million available through our committed credit facilities and cash on hand, coupled with no debt maturities for the balance of 2021. CTU REIT's 6.2 billion assets are 97% unencumbered. And with the, pre- with the redevelopment progression Ken mentioned on our Canada Square development, we moved Phase 1 of that project into PUD at the end of Q4. In addition, as of December 31, 2020, the REIT's book value per unit was $14.62, which is slightly higher than our 2019 year-end value of 1461, primarily due to net income exceeding distributions. And this is despite a negative fair value adjustment that is included in this year's net income as a result from the impact of the pandemic. Before I pass it back to Ken, a brief remark on our debt profile. As Ken mentioned, on January 6th this year, CT REIT successfully completed the issuance of $150 million of unsecured debentures with a 10-year term and a coupon of 2.371%. The proceeds were used, then used to complete the early redemption of the $150 million unsecured debentures originally set to mature on June 1, 2021. With this early refinancing completed, we have no further debt maturities until Q2 of 2022. At the time of issuance, the interest rate on the new series of the unsecured debentures was the lowest ever interest rate on a 10-year bond issued by Canadian REIT. After these transactions, CT REIT's weighted average term to debt maturity has increased from 7.5 years to 8.1 years. And with that, I'll turn things back to you, Ken. Thank you, Leslie. While I'm proud of CT REIT's 2020 results, I'm sure you, like me, are glad to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. While 2021 continues to be challenging, we have cause for optimism and look forward to a return to normal life. I know it's a busy time for many of our listeners, so I will turn the call back to the operator for any questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. 
We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The first question is from Himanshu Gupta with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Good morning. So just for the new investments, uh, it includes intensification of over 300,000 on the existing distribution center in Quebec. Uh, just wondering how much are you looking to spend here on a dollar per foot basis and what are the timelines there? Hey, Amanda, it's uh, Kevin speaking. Um, so the investment in that particular uh, intensification is just over $30 million, uh, and it will probably be spent in the early part of 2023. So it's about 100 bucks a foot. Got it. And uh, do you see any more opportunities in the near term where you know, Canadian Tire is looking to add or expand uh, distribution centers? Uh, we're definitely in dialogue with, uh, with Canadian Tire and their uh, real estate group on uh, the supply chain needs and, and as well as the supply chain uh, group within Canadian Tire. Um, I think that's an evolving story as they continue to uh, obviously benefit from uh, increased sales uh, related to uh, the, the circumstances of the last year. Um, so stay tuned on that one. Fair enough. And then just staying on the transaction activity, uh, that disposition of Antrier Mall for $21 million, uh, what was the cap rate on that property? I know you mentioned the sale price was in line with the IFRS value. Uh, anything on the evaluation there? Yeah, we're, we're not disclosing the actual cap rate, but I can, I can indicate it was a, called a mid to high six cap. Mid to high six cap. Okay, that's great. Uh, and then just one more question on the lease expiries in 2021. Uh, I know it is very small, uh, but there are some Canadian tire leases also coming up for renewal. Uh, do you know how the market rents uh, compare to the Canadian tire rents which are coming up for renewal? So, I mean, my question is just wondering how the market rents for Canadian tire leases have performed over the last, say, five to seven years. Sure, I can I can take that one too. So uh, I think in, in 2021, we actually only have one Canadian Tire lease uh, coming up that's expiring, and that was a property we acquired from a third party. So I, th I think the rent is actually preset for the uh, extension term. Um, more broadly, I, I, I think our belief is the Canadian Tire rents are at market. Got it. Okay, thank you. That's it from me, and congratulations to you, uh, Ken. I, I'll tell you back. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Sam Damiani with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And I'll echo the congratulations as well, Kevin. Um, and I'll, I'll keep the questioning at you as well. Um, just looking at the, the rent collections, which great to see them ticking higher and higher. Any impact from the recent lockdowns at all that you're seeing? Maybe any comment you can make on February to date? I know it's still early in the month. Um, yeah, I mean, the trends we're seeing in February are pretty similar to, to January thus, thus far. Um, you know, obviously, there's a negative impact on, on retailers more broadly. Uh, you know, obviously, we have a high percentage of uh, open and essential needs retailers, so that benefits our portfolio. 
Um, we're starting to see the benefits of the SERS program come through, which is, is helping obviously from, from a rent collection perspective. I mean, one, one note I would, would make uh, on SERS relative to, to CICRA um, is from a landlord's perspective, things have gotten a little bit more opaque. Um, you know, CICRA, which we were obviously the, the, uh, the, the counterparty to make the application, uh, and there was a lot more information sharing in order to, um, to make, uh, make the necessary submissions, whereas SERS is entirely uh, on the tenants to, uh, to, um, to, to, to deal with those, those forms and, and uh, application portals, and therefore the information flow we're seeing has slowed down a little bit, so it's a li little bit more qualitative at this point in terms of the ongoing conversations we're having. Um, you know, obviously if somebody for one reason or another isn't receiving the benefit of a SERS payment or needs to come to us for additional rent relief, those are when we, we are, would have uh, more access to information. So um, although CICRA administratively was uh, not a great program, at least from a visibility perspective uh, as a landlord, um, we saw a little bit more. That's helpful. And the, uh, the tenants that I guess benefited and, and, and you know, from, from the SACRA program, are they also benefiting from SERS in the sense that it hasn't had any negative impact on, on overall rent collections? It's perhaps been a positive res, uh, impact uh, of the switching program? I think so. I think so. I think, I think SERS is doing a better job than SECRA did supporting uh, tenants in their ability to pay the rents. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, maybe over to, to, Ke, uh, to Ken. Um, looking at the distributions that were increased a little bit during, the, I guess, the third quarter of, of last year, um, there was no follow-on distribution increase in 2020. You know, when you look to 2021, you know, is this a temporary sort of pullback on the, on the sort of annual bumps? Uh, with perhaps a catch-up sort of outsized bump maybe potentially later on in 2021, assuming everything starts to get back to normal in a meaningful way? Or you know, how, do you, how should we think about distribution bumps going forward? Well, Sam, of course we, we review the monthly distributions and the board approves them um, every month. And, you know, we were on a, on a pretty regular cycle uh, until the pandemic struck. So um, clearly we're monitoring you know, both the, the REIT's financial situation, but also the, the external marketplace. I mean, today, um, obviously, we're in the second wave of the pandemic and, and lockdowns haven't been lifted. So it's a situation we'll continue to monitor uh, into 21. Okay. And I guess just looking out also on 21, you resumed your investment activity a few months back. Do you anticipate man maintaining that pace and are you starting to see more third-party acquisition opportunities? Uh, I'll take that, Sam. Um, I, I think the pace uh, has picked back up and, and I think our expectation is um, it would continue. Um, you know, obviously there was some deferred projects and some delays and some of the stuff we were working on as the pandemic hit. So I think you'll see um, hopefully some, some continued uh, announcements from our part um, in the same course. Uh, completions for 21, though, obviously, will be a little quieter than in, in previous years. On the third-party front, um, I would say the year has started off slowly. I think there was some, some transaction volume heading into year-end uh, that picked up off the strength of you know, the, the, the late summer, early fall, and, and the reopenings of, of various businesses and health of some of the essential needs retailers. There's still lots of interest in, 
you know, grocery anchored, essential needs anchored, uh, retail. Um, you know, we obviously got our, our prior mall uh, property sold at the beginning uh, of, the, of the year, uh, which was great for us. Um, but I think there is still a, a bit of a, 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 a bid-ask gap between buyers and sellers, uh, a little bit of price discovery still going on, um, you know, low bond yields obviously supporting, um, uh, you know, transactions uh, more broadly and hard assets. So um, I think there's an appetite and there's, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines waiting. It's, I think, finding the right product at uh, the right price. That's, that's the challenge right now. Thanks. That's helpful. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And the next question is from Jenny Ma with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Um, Kevin, congratulations on your promotion. Thank you very much. A quick question back to Arn Pryor Mall. Um, just wondering if you could share with us uh, the rough profile of the buyer and whether or not um, you, know, you could comment on what, their, what you think their investment thesis or reasoning or interest in the property was. Um, the buyer was private, a uh, private individual. Um, uh, I, I think their interest in the property was based on the strength of uh, the underlying leases. I mean, as, as we've detailed, you know, we, we bought them all. Uh, it was half empty. Um, we brought the Canadian Tire in. We expanded the grocery store on site. We, you know, it, it, we were calling it an enclosed mall, but we, we, we pretty much eliminated the majority of the enclosed mall components. Uh, of the property, so um, I think 85% of the NOI was from uh, investment grade anchor tenants, and then there was a you know a stub piece with some smaller uh, tenants in it. Um, so so all in all, a, a fairly stable uh, property with long-term leases um, that you know I guess based on where uh, bond yields are trading, uh, you know the investor felt uh, uh, the return was 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 decent, and and being private probably levered it up and, and got a nice, uh, you know, a levered IRR associated with the, the cash flow profile. And was this a relatively local investor? Uh, no, no, not a local investor. Domestic? Domestic, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Um, wanted to turn to the change in the valuation methodology. Um, what really led to that change um, in the approach and uh, I see that the, the terminal cap rates have moved up a bit, and I'm not sure if that's due to a change in some of your assumptions, or maybe it's just a weighting change given that the majority of assets were, were under OCR, so I'm not sure if it's just a, a formula-driven uh, change or if there's a market condition uh, change behind it. Jenny, it's Leslie. Um, you know, I think the, the OCR approach for the, the majority of those in standalone uh, single-tenanted properties um, had been used since the IPO and appropriately so. Um, but as obviously we, we go down from a sort of a, an average 15-year um, term at IPO down to sort of nine and, and it continues to shrink just as time goes forward, um, I think we really felt that the, the OCR wasn't necessarily the, the right approach as uh, you know, we continue to, to shrink and as things continue to uh, get smaller. Um, you know, it's a bit tougher with, with that approach to uh, put in changes. So um, we changed the DCF and, uh, you know, the, the changes in the, the metrics that you noted um, are, are predominantly, I would say, market, um, market assumptions and changes, you know, that there's still sort of continued, um, you know, uh, some continued pressures on some of the uh, retail real estate. And so 
um, when we move things over. We're also updating that now that there are a, a few transactions here and there in the marketplace. Obviously, with um, you know transactions being you know fairly sparse still, um, there, there's definitely uh, you know we're definitely looking at what that could be. But um, but yeah, the transactions are really more market driven, um, etc. But that's really our ability to sort of change those uh, to change the. Um, inputs and those assumptions is, is something that we think is going to be the, the right move for the rest of the years. Okay, and it looks like the hold period went up a bit from 10 to 12 years, but you, you mentioned that the lease terms are kind of coming down. So um, how do I reconcile those changes um, or the change in the hold period? I think that there's the change in the hold period. Uh, I probably wouldn't read too much into that. Um, you know, I think we're, we have pretty good visibility to the you know, Canadian Tire stores and mm -hmm degree of confidence that uh, those stores will continue to be there. And I think just from modeling purposes, um, you know, we, you know, we'll, we'll be moving things over as, you know, we don't typically, you know, use a hold period if we have to have rollover and expiries in those ones. So it could just really be as we moved and shifted the portfolio over to the DCF that that, that ticked up a little bit. But um, uh, I think we're, uh, you know, the, the hold period, um, there, there's nothing sort of magic different about that other than, uh, that's sort of just what we looked at and probably had to move a few things around as uh, um, we looked at what rolled over in year 10. Okay, that's fair. And then uh, last question, with, the, with regards to the prepayment of the Series C debentures, there was a prepayment fee that was incurred in Q4. Um, what, what, how much was that fee? And I assume that it was all expensed in Q4, not expected to recur in Q1. Yes, Jenny. The, the prepayment penalty on the Series C um, was about $750,000, and that was all expensed in Q4. Perfect. Thank you very much, and congrats on a strong year. Great. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. The next question is from Palmy Burr with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good morning. Um, just with respect to Canada Square, what, what can you share with us with respect to the first phase, uh, what that will look like, uh, when it may start, and uh, I guess some of the potential costs that you expect uh, for that phase? Hi, Palmy. It's, uh, it's Ken. <clears throat> Pardon me. The, uh, the first phase of the Canada Square redevelopment would be the north end of the site and uh, would incorporate uh, a mixed-use uh, commercial residential tower uh, above a replaced bus depot um, that uh, is currently operating on the site, so it will be relocated uh, to the north end of the site. Um, and there will be some uh, public amenities that will be included in, uh, in that first phase as well, above and beyond the bus depot, um, including uh, the uh, new transit entrances and, and some uh, uh, public green space. Um, with respect to costs for that phase, uh, we're still working through the costing exercise or uh, Oxford Properties is on our behalf. Um, so I don't have anything to share with you on that front at this point. Um, from a timing perspective, uh, we continue to aim to start construction uh, when we get uh, the land that we would be building on uh, in essence back from uh, Crosslinks, which is uh, uh, the contractor developing the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. So it's largely driven by, firstly, the municipal approval process, and uh, secondly, when the uh, when the LRT is completed. Got it. I guess just on the on the mixed use 
tower. Uh, would that be a condo or would that be rent to residential with retail just or, or office just sorry some uh, some color there? Uh, at this point, we're contemplating that it will be uh, uh, residential retail um, rental. Pardon me, with with some retail at the base of the building. Got it. Uh, just one more. I, I guess looking at the you know the development pipeline, uh, Kevin. I think you mentioned that this year, you know, uh, or sorry, might have been Ken. Sorry, if you, you mentioned this year will be kind of light. Um, and it looks like it's more heavily weighted toward 2022 in terms of the completions. So as you think about you know the year ahead for for this year, um, what are your thoughts with respect to you know putting capital to work, whether it's in acquisitions or uh, overall development spending? Yeah, Tommy, it's Kevin. Um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously look for you know uh, third-party uh, acquisition opportunities as we have in the past, which is basically opportunistically. You know, if there's something out there that we feel uh, suits our criteria and fits our strategy and uh, is financially uh, worthwhile, we'll we'll pursue it. Um, you know, there is some uh, activity that we are. Uh, funding and, and, and working through some of our, uh, you know, our other development uh, programs, our PAD developments, our third-party developments, and, and a few, you know, Canadian Tire-related activities uh, that we'll see completion in the year. But, uh, you know, um, we made a decision to preserve liquidity at uh, the outset of, uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic, and obviously, um, you know, uh, development has, has a longer lead time, so, um, you know, uh, We'll work a little harder on the organic growth side uh, and, and look out for the, the opportunistic third-party uh, deals as well. Thanks very much, Kevin. I'll turn it back. Thank you. The next question is from Tal Willey with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you great, Tal. Thank you. Perfect. Um, so maybe just to start, like, uh, I guess it's probably best for Ken. Um, just from your perspective, like from the CTRE perspective, going through this past year with Pyre, like, has there been any sort of shift to your, you know, in your sense about how they're looking at their store base going forward? Um, well, I, I think it's a continuation um, and with many you know, pandemic uh, impacts, we might see even an acceleration. But, you know, I would say that the pressure that we had been seeing from uh, Canadian Tire in recent years was to make the stores larger. So we had already um, expanded or had approved uh, expanding, you know, 50, 60 stores uh, over the last number of years. And uh, our recent announcements include further expansions. So I think you know the the impact of the pandemic has probably reinforced uh, the importance of the store network in uh, in a multi-channel retail environment, and um, and obviously the, you know Canadian Tire and we think the Canadian Tire store network is particularly well placed, um, both in terms of the configuration of the stores and the location of the stores across the country. Uh, to work in a, in a multi-channel um, uh, distribution system. Okay. Um, and then uh, just, I think it was Jenny's earlier questions just about the methodology change and the auditor language around that. Um, so the primary rationale for making this shift was that the 
the maturity of the Canadian Tire leases was starting to shorten. Do I have that correct? Alex Leslie, um, yes, that was. That was uh, we've been looking at this, at this sort of change for a little while, um, and, and that was sort of the the primary driver. And I think uh, also coupled with uh, wanting to be able to make potential cash flow changes to to models and and put other assumptions in, that the DCF um, was uh, more suited to that. Okay. And, and so, like, from your perspective, because I know, like, you know, obviously doing a valuation change like this, you know, like, it's, there's lots of irritations that come along, frictional costs that sort of come along with it. Can you just sort of explain uh, maybe why you think this is sort of the better approach going forward? I, you know, the, the, I think well, the, the better approach for, for us, I think, it enables us to, you know, take a look at particular markets or, you know, make assumptions about a store, whether it's, you know, growing or shrinking or, or putting, other, um, putting other things into there, you know, applying a renewal probability, I think, um, whereas the, the direct cap approach, um, you know, obviously was very, very linear in what it, uh, it delivers. So um, I think obviously in this pandemic when we're taking a much more, um, you know, tighter view about uh, every one of the assumptions in the models and what's going on in the marketplace, um, you know, that, uh, you know, reinforced our decision to uh, to move to the DCF method. So if I if I'm paraphrasing this correctly, it's that there's the fact of the pandemic, like and the volatility that it sort of creates. The fact that you sort of get this DCF allows you to kind of like play with those interim years a little bit more, like or figure not play with, but like you're able to do a better job, sort of like forecasting the interim steps. Is that maybe a better way uh, a way to think about it? Uh, it, it would be for, I guess, the multi-tenant properties. Obviously, the, the vast majority of what we switched over from OCR is a single-tenant Canadian tire, um, yeah. and so there's not a lot of moving parts in, in those leases, uh, really, until we get to until we get to sort of the maturities and uh, the, the the rents. Even after that, are, are fairly, um, you know, they're, they're within bands and sort of have have floors and ceilings on them. So, I mean, yes, we can we can play within those um, uh, a little bit more easily, uh, but uh, you know, I think it was. Uh, you know, driven by that, the lease term was probably the primary driver, um, and I think just you know the things in the pandemic um, made us uh, solidify and really cement that decision. Yeah, and okay. Al, it's, it's Ken. I would I just uh, would add that we we contemplated doing this in in advance of the pandemic. It wasn't as a result of the pandemic, and we just felt from a methodology perspective it was more appropriate and flexible going forward. It just happened to coincide with the pandemic. Okay, and, and, that's and perfect. That, Thanks a lot. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to add, you know, it also aligns uh, with uh, the way we would underwrite our own investing strategy where, you know, uh, the longer the lease term, the more, you know, cap rate base we would we might look at something. But, uh, you know, as the lease term gets shorter and shorter, uh, we would obviously have to start making some assumptions about what would happen on rollover and to the market rents and renewal probabilities and all that stuff. So uh, I think just that from a general investment valuations perspective, we're now just aligned uh, more broadly across uh, our spectrum of, of, of assets and the way we view them. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. The next question is a follow-up question from Sam Damiani with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Just a couple follow-up for Leslie. Um, just on the just on the IFRS, uh, just to sort of make sure I understand this. You know, the net result was a fifty-four million dollar provision in the fourth quarter. 
I mean, apples to apples, is it a result of a change in terminal cap rates and discount rates, or is it more a change of, of cash flows that you're forecasting? Um, like, how should I, how should we think about, how should we think about that? Uh, Sam, it was it was a little bit of both. Um, you know, we when we moved the the properties over to the the DCF method, um, you know, we we did look at as Kevin mentioned, you know, about uh, renewal probabilities, lease up assumptions, downtime. So there were changes to the cash flows, um, and we also looked at the the cap rates for the marketplace. So a combination of both. Okay. And the previous pool of assets that were valued on a DCF, like did those metrics? Changed materially, or was the bulk of the 54 million result as a result of the the pool switching from OCR to to, to DCF? Uh, the, there were there were some changes made to to all the assets, but uh, okay. I would say the, the bulk of the change related to the, the um, assets that were moved. Okay, okay. And just finally, I noticed that the um, the redrew on the uh, Canadian Tire credit facility, not the bank facility. Just curious. I guess there was a reason for that. Um. Uh, the, the, there's not a financial reason, but our, our terms of borrowing are, are, are equal under the same, so it's uh, more effective for us to borrow under the, the CTC facility. Got it. Great. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. As there are no further questions at this time, I will turn the call over to Ken Silver, CEO, for any closing remarks. Thank you, Operator, and thank you all for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to speaking with you in May. Have a good day. Thank you. This concludes today's call. You may now disconnect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.